Psalm 84 is where we're at, and uh, I'm going to read through the whole psalm again from top to bottom, and then we're going to focus on the middle strophe, the, the, the little stanza in the middle of the, of the psalm, uh, which we have not yet covered. And uh, today's sermon is entitled Streams in the Wilderness or Streams in the Desert, and uh, we're going to talk about about that. We might have a little Bible drill here in a second, and so uh, keep your fingers uh, ready and, uh, and Google ready so you can Google because I have a couple questions to ask you and see what you can find. All right, Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength, each one appearing before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Now, I did read through the psalm without noting the, uh, the little pauses in the margin. Uh, uh, you may have noticed them, the little word selah, which means stop and, uh, and think and uh, meditate. And I, I didn't read those. I also didn't read the, I didn't read the introduction to the psalm, but we, we did that a couple weeks ago. Uh, and as you uh, are reading through psalms, just a little heads up for those of you. This is simple, just little instruction on how to read a psalm. Uh, always good to pay attention to the headings. And, uh, and those little pauses are there so you can stop and consider the importance of what was just said by the psalmist in that moment. That's a good way to read through the psalms and to allow the psalms to actually become part of your worship to the Lord. A good discipline, and it's been well attested to for thousands of years of Christian history. And prior to that, uh, faithful Jewish uh, 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 history, the, um, the use of the Psalms as, uh, as daily devotion is really, really profound. So anyway, um, I pointed out to you a couple of things in, in, uh, in weeks past about this Psalm, and it is a Psalm that seems to really focus on pilgrimage, isn't it? And uh, the word pilgrimage doesn't actually appear in your English Standard Version, but, uh, but in some other translations, you'll find it in verse Five, in whose hearts uh, or whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. That's a, one of the translations of verse five. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. And uh, and so this is kind of a pilgrim psalm. It focuses on the house of the Lord as uh, as a, as a destination, but more than that, the house of the Lord is uh, is the place where you go to encounter the Lord. And so the destination is not so much the house of the Lord as it is actually the Lord himself in his presence. And and I uh, want to note that it's a very important part of our own pilgrimage as we consider our journey of faith. Where are we going? Where are we, where are we headed? And, uh, and as I told you before, uh, coming back from our own little pilgrimage, 40 days in Spain, walking through uh, northern Spain on a pilgrimage, uh, I've learned so much about the idea of pilgrimage from the actual practical walking that uh, it's going to pop up in my sermons quite a lot, I'm sure, and in my conversations. Some of you have had the privilege of sitting with you and having coffee or having breakfast or eating lunch or dinner or whatever since we've been back. We've been back a month now, and um, and, and the conversation just keeps coming, and more things I'm, I'm learning, and the more I speak about it, the more, I'm, I'm, more is distilling uh, from our journey. But I want to share some of those ideas uh, with you because I feel like the, um, the, uh, the Lord is calling us to his ancient way. And, uh, and I want to point out the markers on that ancient way, especially in a time when uh, those ideas, those, those value systems are being challenged uh, by an ever-shifting 
um, an ever-shifting ideology of the world around us. And it is sometimes very challenging to stand for something ancient uh, and to say, this is the way, <laughs> when, uh, when uh, all these newfangled ideas or this uh, new evidence or new proof of this or that or, or just the, 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 the weight or, the, or the, the gravity of, of the majority and the way they think uh, can, really, can really cause you uh, to question. And so I want to return to the ancient way, and I want to use the scripture, which is, which has been given to us as uh, God's, uh, God's inspired word. Um, I want to return to those stories and begin to pull out of those stories values that shape us and that should shape us as Christians, and uh, and maybe cover some of the objections uh, that we may have, but help you to give answers to these things, especially for the, the younger generation uh, who are encountering questions from your friends and, um, and from the people that you rub shoulders with at school or in university or wherever it is you might be. But, but also for those of you who are on the work, uh, in the workplace, and uh, you may run into somebody who's just angry with God and, um, and, they're, and they've rejected God a long time ago. And you, you, the Christian, are kind of the focal point of their anger now because you represent the God that they hate. And uh, I want to give you some, uh, some encouragement to stay the course and to stay on the right path because... Uh, there are not a whole lot of voices out there that are encouraging you to do that. Anyway, uh, Psalm 84 is this psalm of pilgrimage, and we've talked at some length about the um, about the uh, uh, the blessings that are offered. There's three of them, uh, the beatitudes of the of, of Psalm 84, and um, the blessed are statements, and there are three of them here, and they make uh, they make for good preaching points. Um, and uh, the first one you noticed was uh, perhaps in verse 4 there, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And, um, and there's, a, there's a blessing offered. How many of you have ever experienced the blessing of the Lord before? Anybody? You ever felt the peace of God? And uh, ever felt like you're just dwelling in the in the very presence of God? You're just, you're just there. It's, just a, it's an amazing place to be. There's a, a sense of all is right in the world. And uh, it may not be that you're, you're living in the most... Uh, 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 opulent of circumstances, but but you know the peace. You know when the peace is there, and you certainly know when the peace is gone, don't you? Anybody ever experienced the sudden departure of the peace of the Lord? Yeah, of course we have. And uh, and then we yearn for that peace of the Lord again. And um, I can imagine that Adam and Eve felt it very very strongly, uh, walking with God in the cool of the day, and then uh, and then making their choices. Uh, sinning against God, and then that peace just being gone, and suddenly God not being a, the, the presence of God not being a safe place anymore because of their fear, because of their guilt, and um, and then being exiled from the presence of God. That that was, I can only imagine uh, the the what it would have felt like to go from seeing God face to face to no longer being able to see or approach the Lord. What an awful thing. But we all know what that feels like. So blessed are those who dwell. We all know that there is a blessing of being in that place of confidence that I'm walking with God. I want to walk in that all day long. Don't you? Is there a way to walk in that all day long? Is there a way for us to, restore, to be restored to a place where we are continually at peace because we are in the will of the Lord? Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Now, obviously, the pilgrimage psalm here talks about the house of the Lord. We're going to assume that that's the temple in Jerusalem. Okay, how many of you guys know the history of God's of God's dwelling with His people from the Old Testament? He uh, starts out. Uh, we start out in Eden, and God is dwelling with His people in Eden, the garden that He made, and then they sin. After that, where do they meet with God? Well, I mean, where did, where, did, uh, where did Adam's son Seth meet with God? Anybody know? How about Noah? Where did Noah meet with God? Anybody know? Interesting, isn't it? There was no house. There was no house. There was no place. Um, it seemed like they couldn't get to Eden, right? There was an angel guarding the way. They couldn't go back to God. So where did they meet with God? Hmm. Did they meet with God? Well, it seems like they definitely had to because Noah heard from God, didn't he? I mean, didn't Enoch walk with God and, and he was not? Remember the Genesis story? Hmm. 
So where's God's house? How do we get there? Ha! Huh. I think I learned from that that it's possible to have communion with God even if you're not in a place specifically where God is. Like a, like a, like a garden or a temple. There were no temples at that time. And then Noah, of course, he built that ark for the Lord. Was God with him in the ark? Well, the Bible doesn't actually say. The Bible says that God closed up the ark and saved him, but it doesn't say God went in the ark with him. It says that, it says that Noah was saved through the flood. So there's no real place for God's presence. And then the next thing we hear about is Abraham, right? And, and, and God speaks to Abraham and says, Come and follow me and I will you know, make, a view, make for you a great name. And... Uh, and so Abraham goes out to seek for God. And Abraham begins the pilgrimage, trying to find the house of God, trying to find the home of God. And, um, and then uh, Jacob finds a place, doesn't he? In Bethel. He finds a place where he didn't know that there was a stairway to God, as it were. You remember that? He had a dream in which there was a stairway going up to God. And God was standing there with him. And he looked up, there were angels ascending and descending on the staircase. And he woke up and says, I did not know that this was the house of the Lord. He called the place Beth-El, the house of God. Interesting. But didn't build a temple there. So where is God? Well, it is possible to be on a pilgrimage to a place you can't see. It's possible to walk with a God that is not located in some static location. And to have a pilgrimage that's actually in your heart not actually defined. So although the psalm talks about the temple, most likely the house of God, because, well, there was the wilderness, wasn't there? And then, and then there was a tabernacle in, the, in Sinai, and then Moses and the tabernacle, you know, the tabernacle then went into the promised land across Jordan, and it was housed at Shiloh. And then after Shiloh, it was housed at Gibeah, or Gibeon, right? And then the Ark of the Covenant, of course, had been lost in battle. And then it was restored, and then David brought it into his house, and the house of David, basically, and the city of David. And there he had the tabernacle of David, where the Ark of the Covenant was, but the, but the brazen altar was still in Gibeon. And then Solomon built a temple that David had designed and gathered all the money for. And Solomon was blessed by God to build the house of the Lord. And from that point on, people were no longer encouraged to worship God in the high places. So the house of God didn't really exist, but people worshipped God in all these high places. And until the building of the temple, the high places of worship were not a bad thing. Unless, of course, they were high places for uh, false gods. But, um, but high places, people would go up and they'd build an altar. And they would sacrifice to God on this altar. Just like Abraham did. Like Abraham was going to with, with uh, Isaac. Interestingly enough, as you may already know, the place Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac was Mount Moriah. And that's eventually where Solomon built the temple of God, was on Mount Moriah. And it's eventually where Jesus was crucified, of course, Mount Moriah. Interesting. The house of God, it seems, has always been, God has always wanted the house of God to be with men. He does have a throne in the heavens. Where the angels worship. We have no access to that throne physically. But when God allowed Solomon to build a temple, <clears throat> he centralized the house of the Lord. And then this psalm is about that. They'd make pilgrimages, I told you. They'd make pilgrimages three times a year from wherever they were to go to the house of the Lord. And the people would gather together because it was a mighty, just a mighty time of worship and a great time of celebration. It was amazing to be together in the house of the Lord because being on pilgrimage taught them that this earth was not their home. Going to the house of the Lord reminded them that they're on a destination journey, a journey that has a destination and getting there to the house of the Lord, they wanted to experience the presence of God in that house. But the second blessing in verse 5 Blessed are those whose strength is, is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, is really what the thrust of this poem is all about. This psalm is about having the destination, God's presence, be not in some location, some faraway place, but being right here, wherever you are. 
And the psalm is about discovering that blessedness. I want to dwell in that place where the peace of the Lord is. This psalm suggests it's not in a place. What does that mean for us? Well, I don't know if you've ever been to a conference or maybe you've been to annual conferences where the presence of the Lord was so was so amazingly pre- it was just so wonderfully present that you could kind of you could sense it, you could feel it, you could you walk into a room and the hair on your arms just stands up and you feel like, oh, this is the anointing of God. Ever, ever been to one of those before? And the people are singing and the and the, the choir is just I mean they're all in unison or the harmonies are gorgeously flowing together. The musicians, musicians are world class and the preachers are full of energy and fire and they just stir up and oh I want that. Yeah, that is amazing. And going to experiences like that can really lift the spirit. For those of you who've never experienced something like that, maybe you've experienced an amazing youth camp. Anybody go to a youth camp recently that was awesome? And uh, you hear the word of the Lord at that youth camp, and man, it, you, you just want to go back and be on fire for Jesus in your school. right? And, <clears throat> and those are amazing events. Uh, they take a lot of planning, a lot of organizing, and sometimes uh, there's a season where, where they happen, and they happen frequently, and then all of a sudden it gets stripped away from you, and it's all gone, and, uh, and you can no longer do that. Well, as it turns out, Israel had to experience that as well. Solomon built that amazing temple, cost $200 billion in today's money to build that temple in Jerusalem, and uh, it took what did he say, 150,000 men, seven years to build it, 150,000 people, $200 billion, seven years of construction. Hey, Ron, you do construction? That's quite a lot, isn't it? Imagine having to manage 150,000 people, and all of them, by the way, um, uh, aliens. I mean, not, not citizens. They're all, they're all, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and 70,000 of them are slaves, and uh, the other 80,000 of them are, are you know, paid workers or whatever. I don't know. I mean, it feels like that would be a lot to manage for seven years. And uh, the building was amazing, and it was, the most, uh, it was the most opulent edifice in the world at the time, and Solomon's temple had it just gained fame throughout the entire world. But the problem with that, of course, is that Whatever we build, um, I don't know if you guys ever heard of entropy before, but uh, you know, bad things happen to all the good stuff that we do. So you make, you make something beautiful, and a year later, uh, if you didn't do your maintenance, that beautiful thing's not, not quite as, as beautiful. So you guys know that uh, we bought a car a couple of weeks ago. It's absolutely gorgeous and uh, love it. And uh, I've taken it through the car wash like three times a week for the last three weeks because I want to make sure it stays nice and shiny all the time, right? Uh, because if I go for a week or two without washing it, it, it kind of looks like an old car. <laughs> sort of. Not really, but almost. Uh, entropy happens. And, uh, and that's kind of what happened with Solomon's temple. There were, there were many, many singers and trumpeters and worshippers. And there was a whole system that had been set up by David for, for the, the singers and, the, and, the, um, uh, and, and the, the, the people who kept the, 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 the uh, the janitors, even I mean, the the, the gatekeepers, the uh, the ones who who, uh, who who performed the sacrifices, the ones who cleaned up after the sacrifices, the the bakers, the the money uh, counters, the the, uh, the the skilled artisans, and and so forth. There were tens of thousands of people that were engaged in a full time employment in the temple. But um, values change, and the external uh, gets old and architectural styles evolve and suddenly what was so beautiful 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago is now just outdated outmoded anybody uh, who lived through the bright orange kitchen phase will remember uh, that was once beautiful and no longer right yeah and uh, and so that that happens to everything And so while it is blessed to live in the house of the Lord and to be in the house of the Lord, we need something more than that. Because the house itself isn't a good enough destination. It's just not. And uh, and Israel had to go through that uh, disappointment because ultimately Solomon's temple became 
a place where even the priests didn't believe in what they were doing. They scattered. Slowly but surely, the money stopped coming in. The people stopped gathering. The pilgrimages slowed down. And, uh, and life just changed. And then, with all that corruption that was going on in those temple grounds, uh, eventually God said, I don't want to be here either. And in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel sees a vision of the Lord leaving. Literally getting up and leaving his sanctuary and going to the outer courts and then from the outer courts down the steps and out the door and out uh, across to the Mount of Olives and then leaving altogether. And, um, and I, I got to say that uh, our pilgrimage, when we think about our Christian lives, our pilgrimage has got to be more than a church. It's got to be more than coming to church on a Sunday morning. It's got to be more than that. Although being together with believers is so critically important for our lives. But there's got to be something more than the house of the Lord that we dwell for, that we, that we want to dwell in. It's, it's the Lord of the house that we need to be with. And, uh, and the good news for you believers right here, right now, is that the Lord of the house wants to meet with you also. He really does. And um, the temple was ultimately destroyed. Israel was scattered, carried away captive. Judah was carried away captive. And then the Lord had to restore them through many, many years of being absent and their hearts yearning for and not being able to make pilgrimage. And then finally, he allowed them again. They built the house again. And it was a wonderful thing. You've read the book of Nehemiah. It's a wonderful story of, of, of beautiful uh, triumph in the face of adversity and the restoration of old things. But even then, Nehemiah and the people who built that, uh, Nehemiah builds the wall, Ezra builds a temple, and, uh, and, and Ezra's temple was, was a wonderful recovery, but it was, it was a $20 million building as opposed to a $200 billion building. That's not quite the same, wouldn't you say? And they had to learn. They had to learn that it's not about the house. It's not about the numbers. It's about God. It's about the Lord of the angel armies, the Lord of hosts. Blessed is the one whose heart is set on pilgrimage, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Is your heart set on the presence of the Lord? Good. Good. Because the presence of the Lord is not dependent upon, upon the surroundings. The presence of the Lord is dependent upon something much, much different. God dwells in holiness, doesn't he? He dwells in holiness. He, he dwells in unapproachable light. Some psalms he's shrouded by darkness because his light is so bright. But the darkness is the mystery of God. It's not a darkness as in like an evil. It's a mystery. He's shrouded in mystery. You don't understand God or his ways. And yet he is inexpressible joy and he is unapproachable light. And, and God is so great. Uh, he cannot be contained in houses built by men. Um. <clears throat> we need to have the kind of peace that goes with us whether we're in the house of God or out of the house of God. The first portion of the psalm suggests that there's just this amazing peace in his presence, in his house, singing his praise. And it's true. But we need a peace that's greater than just the peace that we find in the house of the Lord. We need a peace that's with us always. The majority of our, of our pilgrimage, it seems, is actually through dry, barren places. And, uh, and I think that God doesn't want to give us joy just when we reach the destination. I think God wants us to have joy along the journey. I think God wants us to experience the, the peace that surpasses understanding while we're actually traversing the wilderness. I think that there's a rock that follows us through the wilderness that provides the water for us as we go. I, I, that's a strange reference, but um, for those of you who are not familiar with it, but, but uh, it, it's a reference to the Exodus, and, and, um, and one of the psalmists says that the, the, there was a rock in the wilderness that followed 
Israel. Well, they, they, had, uh, they had a few occasions in the wilderness where they didn't have enough water for the people. And they cried out and murmured. And uh, God told Moses to, uh, uh, to strike a rock and water gushed forth from the rock. Moses struck the rock with his, with his staff and, uh, and, the, um, and, and water gushed out of that rock. And then the psalmist or, the, or the, um, uh, one, of the, one of the inspired authors um, says that rock, uh, that rock was, was Christ. Um, and uh, maybe it's in, well, anyway, somewhere in the New Testament. The rock was Christ. The striking of the rock produced the water that 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 gave the people their their um, uh, their life, and uh, and of course we see Christ as the one who was struck for us, and His death brings about our life eternally. So yes, I can see that. But but twice uh, they had this incident happen in the uh, in the the Exodus, and the second time, of course, Moses was supposed to speak to the rock, and he ended up striking it or striking it twice, and uh, and God. Uh, honored him honored his promise and water gushed forth and the people drank but moses was uh moses was um uh god said you you won't you won't enter the promised land because you disobeyed uh you don't strike the rock twice um he was struck once christ has died once and he doesn't need to die again now we can just speak and the wilderness will be turned into a fruitful uh, forest and, and, a, and a field of waters will spring forth in the wilderness because the word of the Lord is, um, is life. Anyway, the majority of our traversing uh, of our pilgrimage is through the wilderness of this, of this life. And we need the kind of peace that passes understanding right now. And, uh, and I want to know that this psalm uh, offers you that. It offers you that confidence. And um, it, it's a beautiful thing uh, because it, it says this, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways design. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. And, and th this is a profound verse, and it's something that, that I think every one of you, if you haven't already memorized this, you should. Uh, this is a profound thought. And... Um, it's it's not new to you. You've heard it before, but this is a scriptural place where you can actually find this theology embedded in this particular verse. Uh, the Valley of Baca, uh, most uh, translated as the Valley of Weeping, and uh, basically a place of difficulty, and um, and it's a metaphor. Uh, it may not actually be a physical place, but it seems like it's a metaphor, and um, and it is a place where uh, where there isn't uh, <laughs> there isn't enough. Uh, sustaining life or sustaining water and and it's a, it's a place of dryness of, of drought in the wilderness and of course makes us think about those exodus experiences of the children of Israel but it also makes you think about the times when you have been trying to find God in your current situation and you just can't seem to find him there his answer is not coming and uh, and you feel like God you brought me here you brought me out of where I was brought me to this place and if you don't provide for me now I'm going to die so uh, either I'm going to go back to where I came from uh, because there's water there or I'm going to die here in the wilderness but but something's gone wrong and um and, and so this is the common experience of everybody who is on the pilgrimage to, uh, to God's presence, as it seems. The common experience of everybody. Are you hearing what I'm saying, Tian? This is the common experience of everybody. Okay, so, so expect this in your walk with Jesus, that there will be seasons when it just seems like he is nowhere to be found. Okay, expect that. And I'm not saying that because I'm telling you that the Lord abandons his people. He never abandons you. And that's the whole point is he never abandons you. But in this moment of drought, I mean, it's, when you are thirsty and you're going to die, I mean, not just thirsty like, hey, I could use a Coke right now. But when you're thirsty, like if I don't drink, I'm going to perish. And there's no water. You can start to panic. And, um, and, and. And for whatever reason, it seems to be the common experience of every true believer who follows Jesus. They, they reach this point. And not just once, but multiple times in their, Christian, in their Christian walk. But here's the amazing part about it. And this is true, and I have found this to be true. And I can say this is true in my experience. And those of you who have been walking with the Lord for a long time will certainly be able to attest to this. There is a miracle that takes place in that in that 
in that difficulty. Listen to this. They go th as they go through the valley of weeping or the valley of drought, they make it a place of springs. They make it a place of springs. Okay, resilience training for all believers. All right, listen carefully. It is your job to dig wells in wildernesses. It's your job. They make it a place of springs. Okay, there's some controversy over, over, over this particular verse in the uh, original text uh, because the, the, the controversy is who makes it the spring. Uh, is it God who makes it the spring? Is it these people who make it the spring? Uh, and I would say the answer to that is yes. <laughs> yes. I want to take you to a couple of passages of promise. Uh, in Isaiah, just hold your finger there in Psalm 84. We take these, uh, this uh, look at Isaiah chapter, um, Isaiah chapter 30, uh, 35, and uh, listen to this amazing promise in Isaiah 35. Just read the whole thing for you. Listen to this: The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The glory of Lebanon, by the way, would be the cedars of Lebanon. Massive, great, big, beautiful green uh, uh, canopies and huge cedar trees that were used for the building of the very house of the Lord. Okay, So the building material for the house of the Lord came from the cedars of Lebanon. And this little, this little promise in Isaiah is about a wilderness being transformed into like a promised, um, into, a, into a forest from which you can build... The house of God. Understand the concept? The wilderness is going to become a cedar forest that gives you the material to build a house for God. You don't have to go to Lebanon. You just got to stay in the wilderness. Huh. Wow. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. The desert shall rejoice. The desert shall rejoice. Not even those who go through the desert shall rejoice. The desert itself shall rejoice. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. How many of you guys want joy and singing in your life? Anybody? Yeah. Raise your hand, all of you, because you all want joy and singing. Come on. Come on. Yes, you do. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. Okay. The majesty of Carmel, in other words, this high mountain peaks with beautiful views. Carmel, of course, famous because that's where Elijah called down fire from heaven and destroyed the prophets of Baal, um, which would have happened before Isaiah wrote these things. So Carmel has that just associated with it. But it's obviously a place where the presence of God is. It's a place of glory. And it's a place where there's sometimes snow. And, and then, of course, Sharon is just this beautiful, fertile uh, place you, you've heard of the Rose of Sharon. It's just a beautiful. Uh, um, the, the Sharon is just is 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 rich, rich soil. Uh, I, I'm guessing they shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Look at that. The wilderness is going to see the the majesty of God. The wilderness is going to see it. Huh. Strengthen the weak hands. So read this carefully now. Verse three. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Huh. How do we do that? I think in many ways, you have to talk yourself into it. I think in many ways, the weak knees have to be strengthened through, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to get up, I'm going to do this thing. I think it's a matter of motivation. I think it's a matter of, of, of convincing yourself that, you know what, I've tried and failed so many times, but I'm going to do this again. So strengthen up that weak, that weak knees. Come on, shore it up. Strengthen weak knees, those feeble hands, weak hands. Uh, but, but then again, there's also a very practical element to it. You know, when I was walking the Camino, uh, there were times when my knees were maybe a little weak because we'd done quite a bit of climbing or quite a bit of walking, and sometimes it just, you, know, you just feel a bit wobbly. So you know what I do? Put on a knee brace. <laughs> Put on a knee brace. It's amazing how a knee brace can strengthen a weak knee. 
Also, get myself some trekking poles, and those also strengthen up the weak knees. Why would you strengthen a weak knee? So that you can continue moving. But sometimes you need a little extra help to get those weak knees strengthened up and firmed up. And there may be practical ways in which we can strengthen the weak knees as believers. I think, obviously, one of the things is attend a Bible study. That'll strengthen your weak knees, as it were. If you're weak, if you're, your, your knees, as it were, if you're, if you're feeling a little wobbly in your faith, attend a Bible study with some other Christians and let them stir up your faith. And if that Bible study doesn't stir up your faith, well, stick with it. It probably will. The Bible's full of good stuff. And, and your friends are probably filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you hang around with them long enough, that you're going to strengthen those weak knees and feeble hands. Anyway, say to those who have an anxious heart. Oh, here we go. This is it. Anybody ever met anybody who struggles with anxiety? Never, right? You've never done that. Never lived with anybody who has anxiety? How about you be the person maybe who has anxiety? Here, here we go. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Okay, if you've ever been anxious and somebody came along to you and said, be strong, how do they make you feel? Make you want to smack them in the head, right? You're like, yeah, yeah, okay, be strong, whatever. And yet this is what the scripture says. The scripture says, say to those who are anxious. Why? Because the word of the Lord is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's powerful. It's alive. It's able to do what it's sent forth to do. In fact, the word of the Lord never fails. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. There is a power to the word of God, which is just not natural. Now, if you say to those who have an anxious heart, pull it together, man. Uh, maybe that's not the best word to bring to them. Yeah, maybe you deserve the slap in the head that you get at that point. But if you bring to somebody who's anxious a word from the Lord and God's word, it is possible that the word of God can do what we can't. Now, of course, that's going to, I don't want to empower everybody to get out there and just start quoting scriptures at the anxious. That's also not helpful. But I think you guys are smart enough to be able to discern what's helpful and what's not. Say to those who, are, who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come. How can you tell someone to fear not? Because you're following it up with, look, God really is going to come through for you. He will come with vengeance. And with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Vengeance on your enemies. He will come with vengeance on your enemies. And he will come to bring a reward and a recompense. He will come. So hold fast. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness. And streams in the desert, and the burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass will become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. And the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Hear the promise of the Lord in Isaiah 35. And understand that those who have their hearts set on pilgrimage for whom the presence of the Lord is the destination. The reason why the wilderness can become all these things is because you've already reached your destination in the heat of the wilderness if you are walking in the presence of the Lord. There's more. Isaiah goes on. I've run out of time, but Isaiah 41. Uh, you guys are okay if I read you Isaiah 41 and a couple others? I just want to give it all to you today. Isaiah 41. It says in verse 17. 
When the poor and the needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. I will put in the wilderness the cedar, the acacia, the myrtle, and the olive. I will set in the desert the cypress, the plain, and the pine together, that they may see and know and may consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created this. Turns out it's really quite a theme in Isaiah, in this particular portion of Isaiah. Isaiah 43, just over the page, verse 10. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant who I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, and there shall not be any after me. I am the Lord. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Oh. I declared and saved and proclaimed. When there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declared the Lord, and I am God. And henceforth I am he, there is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon, and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they, have, in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they're extinguished, quenched like a, like a wick. That's talking about the first uh, you know, Red Sea parting. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness. Huh. And rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So those who have their hearts set on pilgrimage, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion, the highway of holiness that we just read about in, in, in Isaiah 43, they will experience... God turning the wilderness into pools of water. And because of that, though they walk through the valley of Baca, they will turn it into places of wellspring of life. Not just for them, but as it turns out, for everybody else around them. My friends, we are called to be salt and light in the world. But can any of you remember that Jesus actually said that we were to be like water? Does, does anybody ever remember anything about rivers of living water springing up? Does that ring a bell? Do you happen to know where that's found, where that passage is found? Rivers of living water shall spring forth from you. Anybody know? Got your Google ready? You want to? Russ knows. Where is it? It is in, it is in the Gospel of John. It's in chapter 7. Well done, Russ. Russ is right on it. Uh, John chapter 7, I, I don't know, who, who's going to Google it? Who's going to find it first? Go there, search there, find it. Oh, 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 here we go. Deborah's got it. John 7, 38. Well, you want to read it for me? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whoever believes in me. Okay, say it again. Just, this is Deborah reading from John chapter 7, verse 38. Read it again and listen carefully in the context of what we've just been talking about, the pilgrimage. Okay, and the wilderness, go ahead, read it. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, believes in me do you believe? Okay, ask yourself a question. Do I really believe? Do you hear me? Okay, so when you're going through that trial, Tian, okay, and you're suddenly, like, you followed God, you got here. This is exactly what God told you to do. Now you're here, and it's a wilderness, and there's no water. I mean, that's what happened with Israel, right? They left Egypt. They went into the wilderness with Moses. They're honoring the Lord. They're doing exactly what God said. And now all of a sudden, ta-da, no water. And everybody's going to die. Do you believe? Carry on, Deborah. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow Ah, 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 ah. As the scripture has said, out of his what? Heart. What? Heart. Out of his heart shall flow. Wait, 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 wait. I thought it was out of the wilderness that the, the, the rivers were going to flow. Oh. What is the wilderness? 
<sighs> Come on. The wilderness isn't where we're walking. Turns out the wilderness has been our heart all along. And that's what God wants to transform. Oh, dear Jesus. Our heart was the wilderness. We've been marching through life and thinking that our circumstances are the forest or the wilderness. But it turns out our heart is the dry, arid place that God wants to transform. Blessed are those in whose hearts are the highways, not just the casual little paths, not just the little, you know, the little, the little hiking trail. We're talking highways. Highways have to be intentionally built. Highways have to be engineered. Highways need bridges. Highways need to be multiple lanes. Highways need to be, need to be highways, not low ways. In whose hearts are the highways to Zion. Blessed are the ones in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Because as it once was written, out of the heart proceed life or death, right? The words that come out of our mouths are actually indic indicators of what's in our heart. Our hearts are wilderness, barren, empty. Until Christ comes, the rock who was the rock who was crushed and beaten for us, and from whom water flows. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. As it turns out, you can bring life to the people around you, but you can't bring it unless your heart's been transformed from a wilderness to the forest. My friends, the only way for our hearts to be transformed is to set our hearts on pilgrimage. To know that this earth is not our home. The reason why you're so upset because you didn't get that thing or that person or that goal. The reason you're so upset is because of all this brokenness in your life. The reason you're so upset is because what people think about you or your reputation or your opportunity or your, your history, your past. The reason you're so upset is earthbound, my friends. It's earthbound. It's temporary. It's not eternal. It's flash in the pan, here today, gone tomorrow. It's a wilderness. But if your heart is set on pilgrimage, if you are pursuing Christ and you have set your hearts on eternity in earnest, then the things of this world, it will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious face. Set your heart on the right destination. The presence of God. And all these other things will fall into place as they should. Yes, we live in this world and we traverse a physical wilderness also. But all of that and the people around you in that place will be brought to life because your heart is set in the right place. Famine may happen around you, but you will have enough food. Drought may happen, but you will have enough water. Have you not heard of Elijah and the widow who had just enough oil and flour to give one more meal to herself and her son and then die? And Elijah came and through all that drought that was all around them, she never lacked a thing. I want you to hear the words of Psalm 84. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Do you see that? No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. 
actually interesting that word uprightly is the word tamim i wish tammy was here to hear that because it's like her name right there those who walk like tammy (laughs) but it actually means without blemish well how can we walk without blemish are we not all blemished do we not all sin are we not all sinners I mean, we're sinners saved by grace, right? Okay, we've been, okay, semantics. We, we've, been, we've been transformed. We are living uh, uh, where we once were dead. We are sons and daughters of the Almighty. We are free from, from the, the nature of sin, but we still, we still have the ability to sin. So how can we be spotless and blameless? How can this promise means nothing? We can't walk uprightly. Actually, you can't. Because I think that we can consider that we will be presented by the Lord, spotless and blemish, without blemish, before him on the day. The bride of Christ, without blemish, presented before the Lord. And if we walk with that in mind, then I think we're walking uprightly. If we walk with this in mind, that we will one day be presented before him. If we walk with this in mind, that we are the sons and daughters of God, but we will also be the bride of Christ. If we walk with that in mind, That changes our motivation. It changes everything. And then we will one day be able to say, who is this coming forth from the wilderness? Just like we read in Song of Solomon. Uh, I can go on and on and on. But we're going to start exploring what is this way? What is this way? What is this transformation of the heart that turns the heart from a wilderness into a fruitful field? And we're going to talk about the way of holiness, the way of righteousness, the highway to the presence of God. And we're going to look at it as the Bible teaches us this. So uh, that will be uh, the ongoing series here at Living Hope Family Church and encourage you to you know, keep watching, keep listening. And if you miss a service, catch up with it on our website. We provide a, a catalog of all of our, you know, our, our old sermons. They're all still there. Thanks to Greg. Thanks, Greg, for that. Father, we just want to thank you for your word here. We thank you for this amazing, ooh, this revelation. We pray that you would indeed transform our hearts and that we would become strong, that the feeble knees would be strengthened, the weak hands would be strengthened, that we would be able to say to those who are anxious, do not fear, for the Lord will come. Papa, come and save us. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.